Everybody and welcome back to another edition of Bradley's House, the podcast. I'm Jared Orr, hanging out again with the executive director, Kelly Noel. Kelly, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. How are you, Jared? Honestly, I'm uh, I'm like a farmer in the field. I'm just outstanding here. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, I went with the executive. I figure if Frank Sinatra can be the chairman of the board, you're the executive director. So that's how it's going to be from now on. Yeah. So uh, I'm super excited about another episode of, uh, of Bradley's house. We've really been having a lot of fun doing this and we have a very special guest with us here today. Kelly, why don't you tell everybody who we're hanging out with? I'm really excited that we have our good friend and a member of our family, Todd Zalkins with us today. He has done, um, he's done a lot over his lifetime and he'll be the first to tell you some good, some bad, but I will tell you that for the last decade, he has done what a lot of people are not willing to do. And, and he's done some amazing things personally for my family that, um, that will always mean that he's a part of our family. He is one of the founders of the Knoll Family Foundation in Bradley's house. He has impacted people all over the world with the things that he's done through his interventions, through his film, The Long Way Back, and we'll get into that. But like I said, most importantly, he's a great friend and a member of our family, Todd Zalkins. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, thanks thank being you. Here. My pleasure. So, so Todd, we kind of um, wanted to get right into it with you because I feel like we could probably talk for three hours with all the stories that you have, and that would just be the tip of the iceberg. But first of all, why don't you start out by telling us how you met my brother and the guys in the Sublime and all that, how you fit into this whole picture? Well, I'm um, I'm born and bred in, in Long Beach, and so... Our little community here was conducive to all the fun little things that us youngsters did, which is the bay and uh, playing around on the water as little kids. And then as we got older, riding bikes and backyard parties and, you know, just a a massive um, treasure trove of musicians. But um, Brad was a year younger than myself. Bud is my same age and Eric is two years younger than me. Um, I met all those guys at different times. Eric was the first one that I met when I was about 11 years old. And Brad, I met um, in my teens. And then Bud, I met when I was uh, 12. Right on. So you've been around a while. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> You're welcome. I, there's a, yeah, I, well, yeah, thanks to recovery. I mean, I, if life were, life was fair, I'd be dead or in jail, but thank God I'm alive. And uh, anyway, life isn't fair, but I'm glad to be alive today. Right on. We're super glad you're alive. I got to tell you. No, absolutely. And, you know, Todd, a lot of times people say that miracles don't exist. There's people out there that don't believe in miracles. And I think the simple fact that you're here able to share this story and help out so many others is a miracle all on its own. Because watching that story and knowing what you went through, it's a miracle that you're still here and with us. And we're certainly thankful for it. Thanks for saying that, Jared. I can I can tell you that uh, I you know I was told that I never, I never had to be alone again. I never had to feel the way I was feeling ever again. And recovery saved my life. I've never done it by myself, and um, that's something that maybe we can get into later. But uh, recovery is a community thing, and where uh, other like-minded people get together and we save each other's lives. That's that's awesome. Now. You grew up with the guys, you you started out with them when they were, gosh, I guess 11 and 12, you were around before Sublime. What was it like as Brad, Eric, and Bud all came together and started playing? Did you know right away that there was something special happening? You know, I, I'm not gonna be so bold as to say that. And I think it's it's important for me to, to, to clarify something that, uh, I knew those guys at a young age. And then I was down in college in San Diego for a few years while they were really getting started. And I came back in 1990. Um, one of the things that always stood out to me about the guys was that they're all very capable musicians. Brad had one of the most uh, 
angelic and sweet voices I've ever heard. And he can also be rough and gritty. I always thought that his voice was extremely special. Um, but as a three person unit, when they were on, I thought chemically speaking, they were very, very strong and they, they grew over time to, to be very, very good together. And then we also know that they could be, a um, a fucking, can I cuss? <laughs> oh yes, please. <laughs> they could be a, a effing, uh, a train wreck too. We all know those stories, but, uh, from the get go, no, I would not say that. Uh, but in time, um, their music became very special and they got very, very, uh, they improved dramatically. Now, Kelly, do you remember Todd from, from being around back in the day? Because the, the way that I picture him is he was the total Eddie Haskell of the, of the group. <laughs> I think most people from who knew him back then, um, would characterize him as a wild man. That was certainly my impression of him. Uh, he was the life of the party. Everybody wanted to hang out with Z man, wanted him around. He was, he was larger than life and you know being be, me being a few years younger i was definitely um amused and entertained by him <laughs> as i'm sure many people were but you know of course now that i've gotten to know him uh, especially over the last five or six years i've gotten to see a lot of who the real person is but back then i mean i think he was essentially who he is but just a bit larger and uh and Todd, I'm sure you can give us a little bit of insight as to why that was. <laughs> well, I think that um, when, you know, when I was drinking and using drugs, I think I I could be maybe funny at times and, and tragic as well and maybe violent too and kind of this mixed bag of stuff. I, As a young person, I don't think I really knew who I was. And so drinking and, you know, you throw in all the stuff that we do while, while, while we're partying and you I kind of had this persona, maybe it's something that I felt like I had to live up to. And, um, you know, I loved having fun with, with, with the guys. I loved raging with everyone when the things were working, but, um, I don't know. I, I, from a personality perspective, I consider myself relatively outgoing, but a, a lot of people don't know this. I'm actually really, especially sober. I'm, I'm pretty subdued and pretty quiet. I, I do a lot of reading and a lot of things that, you know, I'm not just this crazy person sober, but I am still a little bit insane. Sorry for the long-winded answer on that one, but um, I like to be around people who are equally as uh, crazy and who had no limits. How's that? Absolutely. I think that's fair. Well, and I will say that one thing I do like about you is you are still that crazy person. I've definitely <laughs> seen some of that, but um, you know, you're also very intelligent. You're also very caring. You're hardworking. And I think there's a lot of those aspects that probably didn't come through quite as clearly when you were drinking and doing drugs, but um, it's definitely something that, that you've blossomed into for sure. Well, thank you. I, I was at a hard time accepting compliments, but I'll, I'm growing up a little bit, so I'll accept that. Thank you. I know you do. That's why I'm saying it on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> want you to hear it while everyone else is hearing it, but it's um, all true. It really is. So, of course... Why don't you give us just a little bit of background about um, about what led you to your uh, recovery journey? Oh, boy. <clears throat> well, for those listening who aren't familiar with recovery, um, alcoholism and, and drug addiction is a progressive disease. And my disease progressed uh, into uh, quite a bit of darkness, to say the least. And... I was no longer a social person. I was very much isolated and, and very alone and very scared. And I, I had truly lost my mind and losing my mind coupled with all the drugs and all the things that I was depending on for, for so much of my life, they actually stopped working. When I say that, meaning the stuff I was ingesting no longer gave me the, uh, the feeling that it used to. And it was just, I was just flat all the time. and. Um, I couldn't get there anymore. I couldn't get high. I couldn't feel good. And I was, um, I was dying from this disease. And so what brought me in was I, I just did not want my mom to get that phone call that her son died of this disease. And I thought I would try one last time uh, to, to try to change. So what changed for you along the way? I mean, a lot of people uh, start down that path and they're having fun. They're, you know, partying, they're enjoying themselves as I'm sure you were. 
Was there ever a time when you knew that you no longer had control? <laughs> That's a good question. I, uh, I was actually perfectly comfortable with being out of control all the time. Um, I had plenty of moments like in a professional environment where I could uh, have a glass or two of wine and take care of business. But with the friends like the guys in Sublime, for instance, there was no limitations. And so that was like a the e-ticket to be completely out of control and totally insane. And um, I relished in, in, in being completely gone, you know, and so I knew at a young age, I probably had some problems, but they became really apparent in my early you know, late twenties, early thirties. And I, I didn't get sober till I was 39. So you were the MC for a lot of their shows. How did that come about? <laughs> I think, uh, I think Miguel was the one who, uh, who kind of sorted that thing out for me. He, he, he used to say, get up there and, you know, tell some jokes and all that stuff. I'd actually done some stand up comedy down in San Diego when I was younger. And, uh, please tell me that. there's video of that somewhere. You know, it's funny, it's funny because this is in the uh, mid eighties and um, I actually went to the improv a long time ago to see if there was some stuff and um, there wasn't. And um, I wish to God I, I had some of it because I had a lot of fun entertaining people and I wanted to pursue it as a career, but I found that uh, I wanted to maintain the high after the show too much. And I would really, um, really handicap me all of my cocaine use and alcohol abuse. So. Uh, that was a big hindrance. But yeah, it was Miguel. Miguel started off. Z-Man, get up there and talk some shit and have some fun. <laughs> That's kind of That's your awesome. specialty. That's awesome. And I, I would I, I would love to have heard some of that uh, that Z-Man stand up and um, you know, hearing that that's something that you wanted to do. That's, uh, that's not surprising based on a lot of the stuff that we've seen and heard from you. I was actually going to become a male model. Um, but it turns out I'm not that good looking. So it didn't, uh, <clears throat> that didn't come together for me, but, uh, so I understand a little bit of how you feel. Are you undermining me right now? Are you trying to start something right now, Jared? I thought we we're supposed to get on me and you right now. <laughs> no, 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 not, not at all. Okay, just don't start with me right now, okay? <laughs> Jared, Jared, we're okay. Okay. All right. We're okay? Right. We're 100% okay. You, 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 I'm just trying to work with you right now. Why do you, you don't have to I have a question. Me. I have a question, you two. All right, so you played a special role in the date rape video. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> First off, Jared, we're fine. You and I are, we're, we're bros. Oh my God. Don't take that so seriously. Um, the, okay, so the- No, trust me, Jarek can take it. He's just yeah. polite. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. The, uh, the guys were actually in Texas, uh, if I'm correct. They were on the road and they needed to make a, a video for the song, which I think was already breaking on KROQ. And on a shoestring budget, they called me and um, I can, I can remember like it was yesterday, they all just called and said, would I do it? I was like, fuck, of course I'll do it, you know? Yeah, I'll do it. And then I'll have Ron Jeremy rape me in jail and I will um, do cocaine at Sam Seafood and have Jack Mattis serve me strong drinks and I'll be a date rapist. <laughs> it's gotta be a real high point in your career. Oh man, I was living the low life. <laughs> I'll tell you of uh, being a huge sublime fan. That's the one song that I always had to skip over when there was other people around and not because I don't love the song, but just because when it got to the line of light skin, light blue eyes, a double chin and a plastic smile, all the heads just kind of turned over at me. I just kind of <laughs> looked over and just too close to home. As I'm, as I'm, as I'm just a little overweight sitting there with my light skin and my light blue eyes. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, that's not, I'm, I'm a friendly guy. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, <laughs> us, you know, us Germans, we got to be careful, man. You, you, we, there can be trouble around every corner. So be real careful when you play that song to a group of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so I just, I started skipping over that one after I heard all the heads turn. Um, but obviously it's something that you're well known for. Here's a question for all the sublime fans, because I think it's well-documented Todd, that you are a much different person than you were previously. So 311, are they key? Still not key? Where are we at on that, man? Okay. <laughs> uh, let me kind of clarify this. 
<laughs> so at the time, at the time when when uh, when Sublime was really blossoming and 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 getting a great deal of radio play, Three Eleven was coming into their own, and they and they had a lot of action going for themselves. I think we kind of had this joke that they that we were kind of saying, yeah, they sound or trying to sound like Sublime, and you know, being being this false machismo, you know, F those guys and 311 is not key. And uh, I got to tell you, I actually, and I, don't, I know that one or two of the members of the band are actually sober. Uh, I actually have a lot of respect for them. Those guys have been around a long time and, um, and they're, and they're a good band, uh, but, uh, but Sublime's better. Yeah, much, much better. But I, I, I spent years telling people, I was like, yeah, man, fuck 311. And people were like, why? And I was like, I don't even know. But Z-Man said they weren't key in the story. And so no, no 311 for me. And then I think I kind of broadened my horizons a little bit. And I started becoming like a closet 311 fan, but I didn't want any of my sublime friends to know. So now if you're saying they're key, I'm going to put it out there. I like 311. No, no, hold on, Jared. I didn't say they were key. Let's not go there. I said Sublime is key. Sublime will always be key. In fact, they invented key. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not going to call key. Kiss. And by the way, for those of you listening, key is like the out is like uh, outstanding times ten, or you know, just really, really killer times whatever. Um, no, uh, three eleven is just fine, just the way they are. And I actually like a couple of their songs, but let's not call them key, Jared. I want you and I to start getting along again, okay? No, no, I agree. Let's let's put the wheels back on this bus. Let's uh, let's let's get this thing back on the right track here. I I agree. So not key, but they're okay. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I just that's one that I've I've had to ask, so I was able to get that in. I feel good about that. We were talking about you having. You said that you didn't want your mom to get that phone call, and I know Kelly kind of asked it, but I, was there a a specific moment? Was there a specific point where? it kicked in that this was it like was there an aha moment for you where you knew that sobriety had to happen yeah i and i wouldn't call it sobriety first it was just like i i can't live this way anymore i had no idea what sobriety was or what it even looked like but i was actually in vancouver um uh in 2006 around the christmas holiday time with uh with a gal that i was with and each morning while while she was getting ready, I was uh, standing out on the balcony wanting to jump off every morning from about the uh, 15th or 16th floor. Um, all the drugs had started, stopped working for me uh, over a, a long period of time, probably starting in like October, September, October. And then by Christmas time in 2006, it just got worse and worse. And then um, in early February of 2007, I was seeing people out um, in a bush that weren't really there. I was going through cocaine psychosis and full on uh, insanity from my opioid use and my alcohol use. And the police were called and I told them there's people, there's this guy in a bush who's looking at me and I want to kill him. And they're like, sir, there's no one here. Um, can we come talk to you? And I just remember collapsing on the floor. I told the officers, no, no, that's okay. And I, I laid on that cold tile floor for about six hours, just, uh, just weeping because I was done, man. And on February 16th, I checked into a hospital. <sighs> wow. I don't even know what to say. I, I, uh, I couldn't imagine. And um, I know through watching the long way back, kind of what you went through. How did that come about? When did you decide that you wanted to tell your story and make it a movie and have it available for everybody to, to take part in something that was really pretty personal? Well, I've been asked that several times. I actually didn't personally seek out making a film about my story. I was contacted by a film producer in Canada who had read my book. Um, I was very comfortable just having a book out that I wrote at a couple of years sober. It's called Dying for Triplicate. And um, it's helped a lot of people find recovery. I'm very thankful for that. But it was never my an, an endeavor of mine. I wasn't going, hey, check me out. I want to make a film about about how insane I was and things are better today. Um, it started with a guy uh, from Canada telling me that, that you know, well, I want to make a film about your story and I think it, it, it could impact a lot of people. And my whole, um, this new life I've been given, it's all about trying to impact people and trying to share some hope with people who have none. Um, 
So I, it was a dilemma, actually. I didn't get really excited at first. I was scared. And ultimately, me making the film was a very draining process. And it was a very kind of a scary process because not only was I telling my story, but we're uncovering some things about, you know, telling what happened with Brad and uncovering stuff that was extremely painful. And um, I remember prepping Bud for his interview and he was so wonderful and, and, and was so real and transparent with what occurred um, when we lost him, when we lost Brad. It was just a very, very uh, emotional process. Um, ultimately, I'm thankful that it was made. I have struggled at times with it. Um, but at the end of the day, guys, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's helped a lot of people get sober and it's helped educate some people too. And so for me, that's, that's a big deal. I have to say, I've been super privileged to see a lot of the communications that Todd has gotten from people who've been impacted by the documentary. And it is mind blowing how many people have, have found strength through that film, have found um, their sobriety because of that film and have found hope. And I think that that's something that's incredibly powerful because I really do believe that it's something that's going to far outlive you, Todd. But I, I also think that it's it's something that um, is life changing for a lot of people, and I think that's a really special place to be. You know, not a lot of people can say that they've done something so life changing. And obviously, you know, you're a part of Sublime's history, and you know, a lot of people think that that's that's the height of of your of your existence. But quite frankly, I think the things that you've done in the last ten years have far eclipsed that because they're things that, that have impacted people so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, um, I wasn't wanting to tell the story of Sublime at all. That wasn't what it was about. But the truth is, the truth is, is that that's a big part of my story. My, when we lost Brad, my addiction grew tremendously worse. Um, in time, I just became more of that isolator and I didn't know how to grieve. And I don't think a lot of us knew how to grieve. And so, um, you know, uh, it was just a, it's a, it's a, it's an important part of my story, but, um, like anyone who is in recovery, we all get to write our own little comeback stories. And so, um, I've, I've, I've recovered from a state, a hopeless state of mind and body, and I'm thankful for that. But, um, the most important thing and most important responsibility that I have today is to help someone who's still suffering and also to share with people who are hopeless that there is hope because so long as someone still has a pulse, they can still get sober. Do you think that the things that you did in the past versus the things that you're doing now make you a hypocrite? The things that I did in the past versus the things I do today make me a hypocrite. Um, in what ways? Well, I think a lot of people who go through recovery feel ashamed of their past and try to erase it in a way. And I think you've been very outspoken about the things that you did back then and the things that you're doing now are very different. And yeah. I was just hoping you could address that. Okay, yeah, and I wanna address this the best way I can. You know, when whenever we set aside the things that are killing us from a substance perspective, I think it's normal and natural for anyone to experience a tremendous amount of pain, of grief, of anger, uh, a lack of self-worth. Um, and the things that I used to champion, I used to be very open about drug use, etc. And um, I was a champion for riding the rails uh, and being totally insane. I, I can look back at that and I got to tell you that I don't find a lot of my old behavior very funny. I, I find it actually, um, it's not annoying to me. And I could be very annoying, but I use it more as an asset today that I want to, um, cause in sobriety, I get to get in sobriety, recovering people get to know who they really are. And I've had that opportunity and I'm still finding out more about who I am. Um, and I don't know if I've even answered that question appropriately or well enough. So tell me if I didn't. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is that a lot, from what I've heard, a lot of people who have gone through recovery feel almost hesitant to speak out about their sobriety because of the things they've done in the past. Okay. And I, in my opinion, that should not, should not hinder them, should not hold them back. 
Oh, geez. Um, well, first and foremost is, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. I mean, uh, I think one of the strengths that, that allows us to help people on a bigger scale is the destigma is the destigmatizing of this disease. And I can share very openly that I am a, um, I'm a person who suffered for a long time with drug addiction and alcohol abuse for a lot of years. And it's not that way today. And the shame is something that, uh, you know, I, I'm proud to be in recovery. I'm, I'm thankful for it, but um, I hope that did a better job. Yeah, absolutely. There's no right or wrong. I just, I like that people are starting to feel more comfortable talking about not only their past, but also their sobriety. And I feel yeah. like both parts are your story. It's yeah, not one the, or the other. Yeah, the only thing that I haven't done uh, in, in public, uh, and I won't talk about it in public, but in private is is my my form of recovery and what groups I attend. And so that that's a, that goes against the traditions of, of the uh, of the group that uh, saved my life. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all good with being a sober guy and telling people there's hope. I love it. I think it's awesome that people can see that, you know, you did a lot of, of crazy stuff. And at the time you were doing the best that you knew how to do with what you had, just like we all do. And then at some point you realize that that was not getting you where you wanted to be. And that was not the direction you wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In fact, you want me to share you like a, like a quick little impromptu story. I, I actually told this on stage back in the day, back in the day. You want to hear it? Yes, please. Please. Okay. So I'm with a couple of, uh, uh of nonstop talking friends because, uh, three or four of us were all using cocaine and, and uh, drinking excessively. And I told everybody, uh, at my house at San Clemente that I was going to be I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to leave this town. I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to be an adult film star. I'm going to change my name to Mickey Oyama. And I'm going to bring, <laughs> I'm going to bring steaming hot passion to the Orient. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. I go, I'm out of here this week. Totally forgot <laughs> doing this. My friends are laughing at me the next day. I'm like, what? And like, you didn't go look at your desk. I had booked a first class ticket to Japan under the name of Mickey Oyama. That was non-refundable. <laughs> You know, there is no part of me that is surprised by that. $2,800, and I tried to get refunded. They're like, well, no. who's Scott Zalkins? Who's Mickey Oyama? And this is a long time ago. You guys, it took me about two weeks to get it corrected. I swear, I was like, the shit that I do. <laughs> so, so, Todd, how was Japan? <laughs> My wife's going to be listening to this, but I, I, I never went to Japan. I thought it was funny at the time in my in my delusional state. And what was funny was that I actually bought the plane ticket. It's amazing. Todd, I, I want to ask because this is something that I personally would like to know because I guess there's sobriety, being sober, the the terminology and, and the actual process of it. Is it objective or is it subjective? Because... I would consider myself sober, but at the same time, I guess every once in a while during a football game or something, I might have a beer. Am okay. I sober? You, you are what I call a non-alcoholic, but you're sober most of the time. For a guy like me, I am a recovering alcoholic and a recovering drug addict. I can't have a beer or two with you uh, at your pad watching the football game because what might happen was I might want a couple more. And next thing I'm putting you in a headlock, begging you to take me to a cocaine dealer's house. So there's um, there is a difference. Uh, you are a, I would I would consider you a highly functioning non-alcoholic, um, a sober, uh, you know, and there's some people just don't drink who've never had to be in recovery. I actually know of some per, uh, two people in my life who never had a drink or a drug in their life, and they're not in recovery. They just don't drink or use. Um, I drank and used for 24 years, and it almost killed me. So I hope that I hope that works for you, Jared. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely, it does. It's just you know, I I, I know that people consider it different ways, and sometimes people consider it's absolutely putting nothing into your body. Sometimes people consider it's only using certain things, and if they don't cross a line, then they're they're still okay. And I just, I, you know, I. I, I don't like to get into these big arguments of, hey, listen, first and foremost, I'm the judge of no one, no one at all. And when you shared what you just shared with me, my perspective is you're a guy who can drink or not drink and enjoy himself if he does. Uh, but you're of, of sound, sober mind, clearly. 
And um, a guy like me, uh, I just can't drink or use anymore. Um, that's just the way it is if I want to have a relatively decent life. No, absolutely. That makes perfect sense, too. I think that's an important distinction to make. You know, a lot of people um, might be using different substances and wondering, okay, if I use something, does that make me an addict? Does that make me an alcoholic? It's a very personal thing, right? I think it's something that everyone has to decide for themselves. I don't think there's a checklist. You can go one, two, three. Okay, that that qualifies or disqualifies me. Yeah, well, that's a good a great statement, Kelly. And there's a couple of things I want to comment on. The first is, is I'll, I'll get people sometimes will email me like I'm the guy to evaluate you, you know, <laughs> want me to assess you. Now, here's the thing is you can tell me what you're up to and, and I can manifest a pretty good idea if you're, excuse me, fucked, you know, you're in a bad way. It's clear. Sure. The question is, is like, how are you when you stop Okay, put this down for instance. Hey Todd, I only do this, you know, a couple of times. How 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 do you react when you stop doing it? Well, I can't really stay stopped. Okay, well then there's your answer. Right. Well, I stop it for a day and then I go on for another 12 days. Well, then that might be something you want to look at. And so um, you know, in, in, all, in the last but not least, it comes down to is your life going off the rails and are you suffering any consequences as a result of your of your getting loaded. If you're suffering consequences and things are continuing to get worse, then you might want to take a look at it. That's just my suggestion. Exactly. Um, can you just real quickly touch on what happened for you in the process of recovery? I, I really want to encourage people to check out your documentary, The Long Way Back, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And you definitely go into detail with with your recovery process and that. But just for the sake of this, can you just touch real briefly on on what you went through to to get through that recovery process from the time that you actually checked into a hospital and and um, started that whole journey? Yeah. Okay. Well, I first off, I, I drank and I, I did I drank and used drugs for 24 years. 17 of those years I was hellaciously addicted to prescription painkillers including Oxycontin, fentanyl, um, and smoking and snorting a lot of heroin at the end. Um, for, for those of you listening who have tested the waters with synthetic drugs, they're very difficult to detox from. And I was served up a detox uh, from Satan himself. I, I did not sleep for 44 days. I checked in on uh, February 16th and I didn't sleep until April 1st despite all the medications they could give me to put me to sleep. Uh, physically, uh, you would have thought I was probably going into a stroke mode half the time because I shook all the time for months and months. Getting physically sober for me was was a nightmare. And uh, that's just part of my story. And it took me quite a while to get my speech patterns back and to be able to speak clearly and, um, and to have any type of sense of uh, comfort in my own skin. So uh, my, my detox, my post-acute withdrawal symptoms lasted about 14 months. Yeah, that's no joke. That's hardcore. That I'm really proud of you. It's very real. Yeah, I'm very proud of you for coming through that. I think a lot of people would have given up along the way. And uh, I think it speaks to your character that you didn't. I'm super proud of you for that. Well, I think that I, I, I had full knowledge of one thing, and that is, I mentioned it before or a couple of times already, that... It's a real scary place to be for any um, alcoholic or addict um, when when the things you're ingesting no longer works. So my going back to that stuff was not a really solid option or idea because I knew I knew how much desperation um, it created and how much fear it created and how much sickness it created, which even brought me into a hospital. So that wasn't the best option for me. So I just had to kind of hold on and. Um, and hang out with people who knew more than I did. That's definitely key. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Kelly. Um, Todd, the, the again, the Long Way Back documentary, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's out there on YouTube. Um, it, it's an amazing story. And it's uh, I'm not ashamed to say that it's one of the few movies or documentaries or anything that I've ever watched that actually made me tear up and um it wasn't because it was sad it was because of just everything and seeing what you had gone through and and seeing the brain scans and everything that 
that came back and how you were able to turn everything around and the whole sublime story. It was, it's really an amazing watch. Uh, and I recommend it for everyone out there. And one of the things that gets mentioned in that, and it was brought up a little bit in our first episode was the day came where you got a phone call from Brad Kelly's dad looking for some help. What happened there? Um, well, I'm going to venture to guess, I don't know how many years ago it's, it's been, but it's been at least four or five years or something like that. But uh, yeah, Papa Noel called me and he told me that, um, that Jacob was struggling and it was bad. And he told me that he cannot go through this again. He said that he cannot lose Jacob and uh, that he almost didn't survive losing Brad. And I just dropped the phone and I met with, um, I met with him and, and, um, and Janie, his wife, to talk about a plan about what, what, about what can we possibly do to, to help him uh, make some changes. And, and, and I should say this, it, uh, a lot went through me uh, over a long period of time about that, because uh, for those of you who don't know, you know, I was there when, when Bradley passed, not in the room, but a few blocks away. And uh, I learned later that he had tried calling me shortly before he passed away. And um, to be able to, to take the phone call from a man that I, that I respect tremendously, I have a great deal of love, a great deal of respect for the Noel family. And, um, you know, Jim Noel is, is a huge influence on so many of us here in Long Beach and beyond, um, just for his steadiness and for his, um, his character. And so when he asked me for help, it was like, what, what do I have to do? Uh, just drop everything. Yeah, it's well documented in the, in the documentary and to see the relationship that you and Jake have and, and how he was really able to pull the nose up and uh, he's doing some amazing things. Kelly, what was that like for you? Obviously, not just the documentary, but you lived it. But then to be able to watch another documentary and, and see it all come full circle, how did that make you feel? Honestly, I was really hesitant to watch the documentary when it first came out. I didn't want to see everything. I didn't want to see it on film. I didn't want to hear the stories again. I didn't want to revisit it. And so I, I really resisted. And then we had a, a showing in Long Beach and Todd asked me to come. <laughs> and I really didn't want to, but I couldn't say no to Todd. So I came and I'm glad I did. It was incredibly difficult, just like I thought. I sat, you know, with my dad and my family, but I, I sat over on the side because I knew I knew it was going to be a difficult thing to hear, a difficult thing to see. And I did. I, I bawled my eyes out. I'm not going to lie. It was incredibly difficult. And as soon as the credits rolled, I, I ran to the bathroom because I just it was really, really difficult for me to to face all those things that for so long I had not thought about. And I think that's part of what makes me respect Todd so much that he was willing to go there. He was willing to obviously not only dive into Brad's story, but his own and because they are so intermingled and it's a difficult thing. You know, we all would love to just put our best face forward and have everybody think that we've always been wonderful people. And I, I really, I really admire Todd for being able to put it all out there so that people can see the good and the bad. And that's why I think it's helped so many people because it's genuine. You know, a, a lot of people feel that they relate to my brother's music because he was so genuine. And I think that that's why people relate to, to Todd and to his film because he really does just lay it all out there. And so for me, it was a very healing thing to watch it. It was a very healing thing to go through. Um, but then especially, you know, the things that happened after that. And I'd love for Todd to touch on that a little bit, because really the film and, and the work that he was doing with Jacob is what led to us starting the No Family Foundation. So Todd, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that, Kelly. I, I, I appreciate what you just said. Um, it was kind of in the middle of, of shooting the long way back that, um, I, I wanted to utilize the film as a platform to certainly speak to kids and to try and further some type of a message. And I just, 
I think I was, I think I was surfing one day. Yeah. In fact, I was surfing by myself and it, and what came into my, into my silly, uh, twisted brain was, you know what, why don't, why don't we try to create something in Brad's name that could be geared towards helping musicians recover. And I was, I just got out of my wetsuit. I called Papa Noel and I shared with him the idea of creating, um, Bradley's house. And he said, absolutely. And he was, he was very encouraged by it. And then through talking further with Jim, I know how uh, impacted Kelly has been with the loss of her brother. I, I, it took me a while to not so much get the courage, but I talked to Papa Noel about, um, about how I think how important and how much value it could bring to to a lot of people and to Kelly, if she was a big part of this. And um, if you remember Kelly, we had breakfast together and I shared with you what the idea was to have a little nonprofit treatment facility. And, and you've really, really, um, oh my gosh, have you not only embraced it, for those of you who aren't real familiar with how hard she, she has worked, I mean, we, uh, she's gone above and beyond to help make this thing come to life. And I just, I can't speak, um, I'm kind of lost for words, but, but in the, uh, the, the nature in which you've embraced this and, and how you've gotten after it, it really continues to impress me on a lot of levels. And I know how badly you want it to happen. And so, um, sorry for being a little bit long-winded on it, but, uh, it all started just by sitting in the ocean by myself, talking to God. And next thing you know, and Kelly is taking this thing and run with it. And she's just, she's doing an amazing job. Well, thank you. I, I did not actually ask you on the podcast to say all those nice things, but thank you. <laughs> I will say that as soon as you told me your idea, I, I started to cry. I just knew that it was something that needed to happen and the timing was right. And I think that that's, what's so important is that, you know, all the pieces kind of fell into place and you were the catalyst for making that happen. And, so that's a very cool thing. Well, uh, I'm I'm just thankful that that it's getting so much traction. A lot of people are hearing about what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, and Jared, thank you for doing what you're doing, you and your fiance. And it's all about getting the word out there because the fact is, uh, the foundation needs resources. It needs financing to make this happen. And absent that, um, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the this this thing that just all we do is is just try to always just be raising money and not be open. I know how badly we want to open the doors, and and we're going to get there. Absolutely, we are. Well, I, and I'm I'm honored to be a part of this, and you know I, I thank you guys and the entire foundation for for going ahead with this. And like I told Kelly, um, you know I've done some podcasts in the past with some professional athletes, and I really enjoyed doing it. And uh, when I was getting ready to start my next project, I really took some time to think about what I'm passionate about, and uh, you know something that that means a lot to me and that can help out others and. Um, I was just kind of scrolling through Facebook and I came across the Bradley's house page and I thought, you know, I, I've, I've bought a few t-shirts and I've, you know, bought some merch to help out. And, you know, as I told Kelly and Papa in the first episode, um, I can't build a house. I can barely change a light bulb, but um, I can certainly help spread the word and, and get this show going. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to be able to be a part of it and to do what I can to, to help Bradley's house open and, and just have that little piece of the story. And we sure appreciate you, Jared. Hey, Todd, I have one more question for you before we wrap things up. Do you have a fun, sublime or Brad memory you'd like to share with us? Oh, geez, we could we could take a couple more hours. <laughs> anything stand out <laughs> what pops in your head yeah yeah i can share this um i don't think i've ever even shared this one publicly <laughs> it was it was um yeah this was this was a very uh uh a wonderful memory for me the the next day wasn't wonderful but uh they they played a sold out show at the troubadour and after the show, um, myself uh, and Brad and uh, and Troy, uh, Troy was driving. Brad and I were, were partying a bit, and 
we we uh, we went on back to their uh, to his place in Long Beach, um, and Troy went to sleep, and Brad and I stayed up all night doing a lot of things uh, with uh, chemically speaking, but there was some clarity. There's some moments, a lot of clarity too, where he was on this organ and he was playing, and uh, he was talking about his dad and how important his dad was to him, and um, I'll never forget that. And I actually have a tape of it somewhere. And it's one of those things, no, don't email me to get it because I'm not going to send it to you. But um, it was a special moment that we shared. And uh, I got to hear his beautiful, beautiful voice one-on-one -on -one for about three and a half hours. And the following day, date rape, day one started and Louie almost bit my, light, bit my lip off and I was seeing a plastic surgeon at Long Beach Memorial Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But that was a special. Is there anyone special. that Louie didn't bite? Louie never Not bit Louis. me. <laughs> yeah. He bit my yeah. dog, though. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Louie could be very cranky. But uh, yeah, that was a good moment. I'm glad that you asked. And that's something I haven't thought about in a long time. But uh, it's a it's a simple little things that I had a lot of fun moments with the guys when when things weren't too um, chaotic had some chaotic times and had some moments uh where i got to surf with brad that were fun uh just he and i that i really enjoyed and i'll always uh, hold those things uh you know close to my heart that's a beautiful memory thanks for sharing that you know i will say um everybody growing up has issues with their parents but one thing no matter how things were with our dad we always respected him and loved him and i feel very fortunate to have had a father that I can say that about. So he's he's an awesome man. And I, I love seeing the part that he's played, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people, including yours. I know he, you know, he is very close with you and you guys have breakfast a lot and hang out all the time and you barbecued oh, he, for him recently. And <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I consider him one of my dearest friends and um, I'm so fortunate to, to have that friendship what's interesting is that my friendship with papa Noel actually really blossomed after we lost brad i spent a lot of time with jim he would come down and golf with me down in san clemente and i'm the worst golfer ever and uh we would just spend time together and i, I i'm so fortunate to i'm fortunate to have a good friendship with that guy because like i mentioned before so many of us look up to him on for so many reasons um He's, he's got this steadiness that is something that I that I, I wish to God I can have one-tenth of. Maybe I'll get there one day. But uh, we just hold him in very high regard. And so uh, thanks for thanks for sharing that, Kelly. And uh, we we all have a lot of love for your dad. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to get Bradley's house built so that he can see it. I know it's super important to him, not only because of all the people that it's going to help, but, of course, as a tribute to Brad. And uh, that's definitely a big sense of urgency for me. Well, it, it's going to happen because of all the uh, all the killer work you and a bunch of other people are doing. So keep up the great stuff you're doing, Kelly. And uh, I'm excited to one day cut the ribbon with you, maybe. Thank you. Absolutely. It's going to happen for sure. I know it. Well, um, as we come to a close, a couple things. First of all, you do interventions, and I would be remiss if I didn't throw that out there. And uh, can you tell people how to get a hold of you if they are interested in um, an intervention? Oh, sure. Uh, just go to my website. It's uh, toddzalkins.com, uh, T-O-D-D-Z-A-L-K-I-N-S, uh, toddzalkins.com. There's a contact form on there, and um, or you can reach out to Kelly, and she'll give you my phone number. <laughs> that's, that's great work that you do, by the way. I, I can't imagine doing it. You are involved in people's lives when they're at their very lowest and their very worst, and you know you juggle the family and the friends and and everything that's involved in such a chaotic time. I, I don't know how you do it, but it's a real gift. So thanks for being there for those people. Yeah, thanks. Whoever thought that, uh, that, that me as the creator of so much chaos could ultimately, the creator of a crisis could ultimately manage a crisis. I never thought I'd be kidding. <laughs> I think that's what makes you perfectly, uniquely qualified to do that. I really do. <laughs> yeah, right you know what it goes through. Yeah, exactly. And the long way back, I can't say it enough. Anybody who's listening, if you have not watched that documentary, don't wait, go check it out. Um, can you tell us all the platforms it's available on right now? Oh, yeah, it's um, it's we have a multi-year deal with Hulu. 
So uh, it's on Hulu, it's on Amazon Prime, uh, Google Play, iTunes, and uh, Jared, didn't you mention someplace else? YouTube? YouTube, yeah. Yeah, it's available on YouTube. You can purchase it uh, fairly inexpensive and, uh, and get it right there. Awesome. Uh, I didn't, you've educated me, man. <laughs> Jared's a wealth of information. With useless information. I'm a wealth of useless, useless information. The girls always <laughs> remind me in our, in our group chat that they're both much more uh, educated than I am. We got into that a little bit today, but um, <laughs> they, they, they use fancy words, Todd. And then I got to hop on the Google machine and type it in and find out exactly what they're talking about. So it takes me a little while to catch up. Um, before we let you go, <laughs> Before we let you go, Todd, I got, uh, I got two questions for you. One, um, coming through your sobriety and starting to get that, that clearer mind, the spin doctors still sound good to you. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I love talking <laughs> about the spin doctors. You know what? It's like, it's like there's spin doctors, and then there's below that, you have like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. <laughs> Don't ever ever fucking disrespect the spin doctors, man. It's like, oh god, god, those guys rule. Hell yeah. I I knew I already got you half hot earlier, so I figured I'd finish it off right there. Perfect. Um, Now, uh, every guest that we've done this show with so far, I've uh, asked them one question. Todd, if you and I just met and I told you that I know nothing about Sublime, I'd never heard of them, and I was going to give you an opportunity to play one song. Here's one Sublime song that captures everything for you. What song would you play for me? Either STP or Same in the End. Nice. Nice. That's I'll awesome, in, yeah. I'll let, you in, I'll let you in on a little secret. Well, but it's not a secret now. Um, Brad's favorite song to play was STP and Greatest Hits. That may have changed a little bit later, but he loved playing those two. But absolute STP for me. Yeah, fuck yeah, STP. Yep. STP, I love it. I, I love it. It's, uh, it's probably one of the strongest bass lines um, I've ever heard in a, in a song. I, I just, I love STP. It's, it's one of my favorites. So um, yeah, Todd, thank I've almost like turned that up on level 10 and assaulted like multiple families at once back in the day. <laughs> so I'll tell you. Um, so the first episode we had Papa Jim on and he went with Bad Fish. And the reason being is because he said it's the only song that he can play on the guitar um, <laughs> of Brad's songs. And uh, the second episode we had Miguel and he went with April 29th, 92. But the Leary version has to be the Leary version. And now we've got STP from you. So uh, we've got quite the uh, quite the lineup already, and and I think that's awesome. Todd, again, I uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing this with us and and giving us the opportunity and uh, and allowing me to be a part of uh, of everything that you guys are doing. It really means a lot, and I know the fans are really enjoying it. And uh, you just coming out and being so open about everything, um, I, I think has really helped so many people. And uh, and just coming on this show, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that got a smile just from hearing from you, man. So thank you. Well, uh, thank you, Jarrett, and thank you, Kelly. Thank you guys for having me on tonight, and uh, keep up the great work, and let's uh, let's open this place up here soon, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Thank you so much for being on the show with us, Todd. You know that I appreciate everything you've done for my family, everything you've done for the foundation, and I love you so much. 100%, Kelly. Love you, too, and uh, Jarrett, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. You guys have a good night. Absolutely. Thank you. You, too. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Wow, Kelly, that was another amazing conversation with another one of your friends, your brother's friends, your dad's friends, just a a great guy that's been around the scene. Um, Really an awesome time talking with Todd, wasn't it? Absolutely. Todd's a good man, I got to say. I've seen a little bit behind the scenes of the things he does, and uh, he really is a good man. Proud to call him Um, a friend. Yeah, no, that was great. And uh, just for the record, I was only kidding about the model thing. I, I never really thought that was going to happen. So, um, Todd, if you're if you're finishing this up, man, I, I, I was just I was just kidding. Um, but yeah, really had uh, really had a lot of fun with him, and he's he's truly an inspiration. I, I mean, his story, um, like we talked about the documentary, guys. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend that you check it out. But there are professionals and top rated professionals that said, there is just no way this guy should still be alive today. And um, everything happens for a reason. And there's a reason that he was able to, to pull the nose up and, and get things straightened out, I think. 
He for sure. He's definitely a walking miracle, and I'm glad he's here to talk about it. Now, Kelly, one of the questions that I've wanted to ask you since we got this thing started is you have two sons and what was it like for them growing up? Did they understand that they had a famous uncle? How was Brad talked about in in your house? From a young age, um, it was never about him being famous. It was about the fact that they had an uncle and he was no longer here and so, you know, my, my philosophy of parenting has always been, you answer the questions they ask. And when they stop asking, you stop answering, you know, you just give them enough, as much as they need to hear to, to satisfy their, their curiosity at that age, and then you let it go. And, and in my mind, that's kind of how you avoid, you know, telling too much, freaking them out, that kind of thing. So we always talked about Uncle Brad from the very beginning. Uh, it was very important for me that the boys know that they have an uncle Brad. And um, so Brad died in uh, May of 96 and my first son was born in July of 98. And so we always talked about uncle Brad and when they got old enough to ask why he wasn't around, the answer was, well, his heart stopped working. And then when they got a little bit older and asked why did his heart stop working, then it was, well, he made some, some bad decisions and that caused his heart to stop working. And so it was sort of a progressive thing as they got older, giving little bits of information. But definitely from a young age, we did address the fact that that those poor choices that he made that led to his heart stop stopping working were were drug related. And I never wanted to hide that from my kids because it's a part of our family. It's a part of our story. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of my brother or what he did. And And there's a lot of things that he did that I'm super proud of outside of his musical career. And and I wanted them to know that. And I wanted them to feel connected to their uncle because he's such a big part of me. And so we always talked about him and he's always just been a presence in our lives. And I, I hope that I did a good enough job with my boys of making him real to them. I do feel that I, I have, but um, I've noticed that with, with both my kids, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't really brag about their uncle. Um, I, I have a good friend who joked one time that if that if he was my kids, he'd have a T-shirt made that said Brad Knoll is my uncle. That cracks me up. <laughs> but, you know, they're they're very proud of their uncle and and also, you know, sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, that that he he died of a drug overdose. And and so I, I hope that they've gotten a good sense of, of both of those aspects. And I do feel like they have. And it, unfortunately, it doesn't mean that that my kids are immune to making those same types of choices. Um, you know, they have their own paths and their own lives to lead. And, and we've definitely had to deal with some struggles in that area. Um, you know, addiction is genetic. And so it's not surprising that it has crept up. But I do have to say that to my boys credit, they have always been very aware of the fact that it is something that runs in families, that it's something that that they have to deal with and that it's something that has deadly consequences. And so if nothing else, I'm glad that they have gotten that message, you know, that, that it's not just something to dabble in and to play around with and to experiment with, but it's a very serious thing that can have very serious repercussions. So yeah, that's kind of how we dealt with it. Well, obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure you did an amazing job because uh, the way that you're able to talk about it so freely, I'm sure that they got a, a good understanding slowly going through it. And uh, honestly, I can understand them with the famous uncle. My uncle Tim actually does the sax part in Rick James's Super Freak. Um, so. <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. And I don't even have an uncle Tim, but... Uh, for, for those of you that are listening, it's just kind of an inside joke between Kelly and I and a bunch of I my friends. I wish that you had an Uncle Tim that played the sax solo on Super Freak because that is a badass song and a badass solo. 
Yeah, I just blew up my spot because for years I've been telling a lot of my friends that my uncle Tim is plays the the sax uh, for Super Freak, and now they're all going to know that that's not true. But I really just figured, <laughs> you know, that's like a cool enough part of a cool enough song that you get a little bit of cred for it, but it's not big enough that anybody could really look into it and prove me wrong, or that they would want <laughs> to, check you know? <laughs> yeah, like like who would lie about Uncle Tim playing the sax and Super Freak, right? It's not like I said he was the, the you know, the, the president in the forties or something. So it was, um, but no, no, uh, uh, but I could imagine. And like I said, uh, you know, for them to, to grow up, especially in Southern California where sublime is still so, so popular, it's, uh, you know, it's not the same. Like your dad said, there's murals and, and pictures everywhere. And, uh, you know, that's of their, that's of their family. So it's gotta be something that's, uh, that's interesting f- for them and, and kind of weird and exciting at the same time. Are are either of them Sublime fans or is, is that genetic? Like if you're a Noel, you're a Sublime fan, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think that we really have a choice. I mean, they, they certainly grew up listening to the music. I used to change some of the lyrics when they were younger so that they were a little bit more PG. But <laughs> um, but yeah, they've, they've grown up listening to Sublime and, um, and appreciating the impact that the music has had, but also understanding that there's real people behind that, you know, that Brad and Bud and Eric are all real people. They're, they're fallible and they're talented and there's good and bad that goes along with all of that. Absolutely. And, you know, I've done the same. Uh, I've brought uh, my kids up with, uh, you know, Sublime and, and a lot of the guys, uh, luckily uh, Jelly of the Month Club kind of saved me and was able to give me some, some child-friendly uh, music from the from the Long Beach scene there, but uh, I also played Hong Kong Fui a lot for for my kids, so that was a, a bit of a savior for me. Um, but I think when my kids kind of had enough was when I would start, you know, doing it around the house. Like, uh, all right, guys, you know, let's get get the toys cleaned up here, and they would start, you know, slowly doing it, and I would just stand over and go, "Come on, guys, pick it up, 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 pick it up." And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Nice. Uh, yeah, they didn't. They didn't enjoy that one. They didn't enjoy that one as much. So, um, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always have fun with it. Um, so that's that. They don't mind that one as much as they really hate. Uh, you know, who left the milk out? Who, who, who? And I, you know, I walk yeah, around the living room with the milk in my hand. They, they really get upset with that. Yeah, um, that's that's not quite as clever. No, no, but it's still fun for me because I see how much it it aggravates them. Okay, Kelly, so for our second episode, we had Miguel on, and what an amazing time that was as well. Great conversation, and as we're recording right now, um, it has, uh, today, the show dropped. Now, our recording schedules change because when we can fit our guests in, um, so we recorded the same day that episode two dropped, and my inbox is blowing up. The comments are going crazy. What kind of feedback are you hearing from episode two with Miguel? It's been really phenomenal. And I have to say, we have these amazing guests that are so much fun to talk to and have such great stories. And um, so obviously, it's not about us. <laughs> Hate to break it to you, Jared. It's not about us. <laughs> but no, I love not. that people are connecting with with our guests and that we're able to get these, you know, these intimate moments and these stories. And it's been a lot of fun for me to hear. And so I hope that it's fun for people to listen to as well. Absolutely, guys, and we can't uh, we we can't thank you guys enough for your support. Um, we're available absolutely everywhere. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you guys are listening to this today. Please make sure that you've gone ahead and clicked that subscribe or follow button so you get updates as new shows drop. And if you think we've deserved it, go ahead and give us that five star review. Uh, if you don't think we've deserved it, go ahead and click that five-star review anyway, and we'll do better. Uh, we promise. <laughs> Give us a little uh, so, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this was absolutely amazing. Now, you guys can still hop over to lawrecords.com. Kelly, are there still t-shirts, posters? What kind of merch we got available over there? Absolutely. T-shirts, posters, and the vinyl, I believe, is back in stock uh, until we sell out again. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a lot of fun. That That vinyl album is really incredible such a phenomenal collection of artists and you know singing sublime covers and it's it's a really great tribute super proud of that album 
I listen to the album a, a couple times a week when I'm doing different things around the house. Uh, it's just amazing to to hear it. And guys, I don't want you to think of it as a, as covers. These are not sublime covers. These are really tributes. These are musicians that Brad either played with, looked up to, or have heavily influenced. And they all just do such an amazing job uh, from top to bottom, it really is a great listen because you get to hear these incredible musicians put their own spin on these phenomenal songs. And uh, I told you the other day, Kelly, every time I listen to it, a new song starts and I go, oh, no, this is my favorite one on the album for sure. Uh, and it stays that way all the way up until the next song starts. And then I go, no, I think it's this one actually is my is my favorite. So it's really just an amazing listen, guys. Hop over to lawrecords.com. You can pick that up there. Um, as you guys know, the point of the show and the foundation is to get Bradley's house built. And as Kelly and Todd talked about, um, obviously we are uh, doing everything that we can to, to get to that goal. And the foundation is working hard and you guys can help and be a part of that as well. Kelly, if somebody's looking to maybe donate a dollar or two after listening to the show, where can they go? They can go to our website, which is thenoelfamilyfoundation.org. There's a donate button. They can also donate on Facebook and Instagram. We'll take it anywhere we can get it. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, we had a wonderful time. Kelly, thank you for your time. I know that your schedule is incredibly busy as the executive director, not just of the foundation, but in life the executive director. So um, <laughs> I really appreciate you giving us this time and, uh, and putting out another amazing show for everybody. Guys, until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. This is Bradley's house and we are out of time. Okay, guys, once again, to end the podcast, we're going to give you a clip from the house that Bradley built. Now, Todd today on the show said that his favorite Sublime song was STP. And Kelly, I know Howie is one of your favorite musicians. So we're going to close the show out with Ballyhoo doing STP. Guys, you can get the full song and many more at lawrecords.com on the house that Bradley built. Yeah.